Welcome to the FCBC NYC podcast. We're so thankful that you decided to join us in this moment and in this season in your life. Our prayer is that this podcast will be a catalyst for conversion and transformation and that you will be inspired and renewed in such a tremendous way that your desire will be to be your best for God. Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. Called to live, commanded to love, and commissioned to serve. And here at FCBC, how do we say it, family? We live, we love, we serve. Amen. I I, I always say this, but I like saying it. I won't be long. Uh, I like it as a habit. Um, I want to do a little teaching today for a moment, but I want us to turn to two passages of scripture, both found in the gospel of Matthew, um, Matthew 7, and then Matthew 22. Matthew 7, verse 12, um, a familiar passage, Matthew 7, well, both of these are actually, Matthew 7, verse 12, one verse, typically It has come to be known as the golden rule. Uh, I want to read it. Matthew 7, verse 12. Where's that baby crying? I love that. Where's the baby? I can't see it. Back there? Mama, don't leave. Don't feel no kind of way. We love crying babies in the sanctuary. You know, sometimes folk feel bad when the baby's crying. Don't bother me. And if it bother the folk around you, tell them Pastor Mike said we good. So. Right, babies crying in the sanctuary means that we got a future, and uh, we celebrate that. Matthew 7, verse 12 In everything, do to others as you would have them do. Here she go. Let me read that again. That's my granddaughter. Lord, what she got me wrapped. She don't even know how she got me wrapped around. She might know, actually. I don't know. Let me try this again. Matthew 7, verse 12. In everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this is the law and the prophets. And then Matthew 22, verse 34 through 40. And here's how it reads. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Amen. Come on, let's pray, beloved. God, thank you for this season. Thank you for this season, oh God. For some, it is a season of celebration. For some, it is a season of difficulty. 
But God, the only way we can experience these seasons is because we're alive. So God, we thank you for life today. We thank you for just being here one more time. The truth is, oh God, we ought not ever take our breathing for granted, but learn to cherish every breath we take. God, remind us to make every breath count by seeking to honor you, oh God, by honoring the best of one another and the best of ourselves. God, thank you for this time. And oh God, one way we honor you is by being love revolutionaries, oh God, that we take love seriously. God, have your way and continue to have your way in this experience. And we open our eyes, our hearts, our mind to your revealed word today. We love you, God. This is our prayer. In your name we pray. Amen. Before I read the scripture again, I have I cannot let this moment pass without acknowledging uh, the passing of a legend and icon, the great Harry Belafonte. Um, some of you remember several years ago he came here. Well, he came a few times on a Sunday, but when he came his first time, uh, the first time it was after he had spoken, if some of you can recall, at the NAACP Image Awards. And in his uh, speech that night, he was very critical of the church because he felt that the church had lost its way, was not as active in the work of justice and communal transformation. And, and he got a lot of flack for his comments. But then somebody called him, he said, and said, if you want to have hope in the church again, go to FCBC. And so he came that morning and uh, he came and spoke and he really shared those words. I never forget. And he said, Pastor Mike, he's, at the end of his talk here, he said, so I came here today to let the spirit just wash over me. I mean, what a profound life. And, and one thing that I appreciate is that Mr. Belafonte said that he wanted to be remembered more as an activist than an entertainer. And tragically today, we have activists who want to entertain. And so I appreciate the legacy and life of Harlem's own Harry Belafonte, amen. Let's just thank God, give God a hand of praise for, for this giant, yeah. All right, let me, let me read this again. Matthew 7, verse 12. And everything do to others as you would have them do to you, for this is the law and the prophets. Matthew 22, 34 through 40. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Amen? Come on, put your hands together as you take your seat. 
Last week, I received a, a message in my DM. <laughs> I actually often, you can imagine, get a lot of messages through Instagram and Twitter and the like. But this one was interesting. What I don't do, though, is I don't respond to them very rarely. Even sometimes the good ones. I think I shared some months ago a quote from the rapper T.I. He said, if you live by the applause, you'll die by the booze. And so, but I often get critics, as is expected. And, 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 that, and that is nothing new. But I got an interesting one, a message from a critic. And the person basically, in a word, said, uh, I've been listening to you for a little bit, and I can't listen to you anymore. <laughs> you can tell I was devastated. <laughs> and he said, because you don't preach enough about sin, hell, and holiness. Sin, hell, and holiness. And um, I thought about that. And, and, and I've been criticized by that. Can you imagine that there are folk who, don't, who are mad because I don't talk about hell enough? <laughs> and so I want to I wanna teach a little bit this morning. And I know that person is not watching because they said they were. <laughs> but there are those who claim that Jesus spoke about hell often and more than heaven. The only way you could believe that if you haven't read, because if you read the Gospels, you will know that's not the case. The synoptic Gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which basically means synoptic is a big word for same, which means that Matthew, Mark, and Luke pretty much tell the same stories. Mark is the first Gospel written. Um, that might come as a shock for some who assume that the New Testament is in chronological order. It is not. Mark is the first gospel written. Matthew expounds on Mark's stories. Luke does the same. John is not one of the synoptic gospels because the writer of John has a very distinct theological agenda. The writer of John is trying to prove that Jesus is the pre-existing Logos, the Word of God. The words you find in John in that first chapter where it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, the Word was with God, and, and so forth. Is Those are not Jesus' words. Those are words written by the writer of John to prove what they already believe, that Jesus is the pre-existing Word of God. But when you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know that, again, some of the stories are told over again in three Gospels, and John has some very unique work, although he does do some of the work of the other Gospels. But in an article I was reading some time ago, it, it really pushed the point that there are 1,900 verses in those four Gospels that contain what we believe are the words of Jesus. I want you to get this. Only 60 verses of the 1,900 verses, that is 
of the words attributed to Jesus might be construed to either directly or indirectly refer to hell. 3%, 60 verses out of 1900, where it could be construed that Jesus directly or indirectly references hell. The flip side is that there are 192 verses, three times that amount, where Jesus makes reference to heaven or the kingdom of God. Three times that 60, 192 verses. Now, you may be thinking, well, it's clear that Jesus spoke about heaven more than hell. But here's the thing we don't calculate. That means that 87% of Jesus's teachings were not about hell or heaven. 87%. That means what was Jesus talking about for 87% of the time? He was talking about life and how to live this life, how to be in relationship with God, how to be in relationship with others, how to live this life in a way that reflects that you have had an encounter with God or, or understand that you are a child of God. What people do when we think about the Gospels or Jesus's ministry, and I'll talk about this maybe this week at TNT, we assume that the death of Jesus is actually the beginning of Christianity. When the truth is Christianity, as we understand it today, doesn't get started for almost 300 years after the death of Jesus. I need you to understand that today, that what we understand as Christianity doesn't start with Jesus because, well, at the end of the day, Jesus was not a Christian. I know that may be a newsflash for some people, but if it is, you are exposing the fact that you too have not read because Jesus was born a Jewish man, lived a Jewish man, and died a Jewish man. I taught one time that you asked some people, well, no, let me go back. I was teaching a room of pastors via Zoom for a, a, a talk uh, one a few months ago for some pastors, and, and, I, and I asked them a question that you would think, well, pastors and, and Christians alike would know. I said, what what did Jesus, what was he doing? You know, you don't often get asked that question because we all make assumptions about who Jesus was, but you don't get asked, what was he doing? And well, here's how I put it more pointedly. I said, was Jesus an evangelist? They didn't answer the question. Nobody did, actually. I said, because then I had to press them. What's the point of an evangelist? Evangelist wants to spread the word, Mary, in order to convert people. And I said, if that's the case, what was Jesus converting them to? Because he was not a Christian. I said, well, if he was seeking to convert people, and I'm, I hope the detractors will watch this. If he was seeking to convert people, he would have been converting them to Judaism. The sign of conversion to Judaism, the sign scripturally was circumcision. 
That means that then if Jesus was an evangelist seeking to convert people to Judaism, uh, then that means he would have often talked about the need of circumcision. Not one scripture in the New Testament does Jesus tell anyone, even when he encounters Gentiles who he teaches and heals, that they need to be circumcised. So now what we know is that Jesus' aim was not to convert people to Judaism. We also know that his evangelical efforts was not designed to convert people to this thing we call Christianity because Christianity and the notion, the language of Christian is not, well, the word Christian doesn't even come up for decades after his death. In the first place you'll see it in the book of Acts is in the city of Antioch during Paul's ministry where people were called Christian little Christ, and it was a term not of endearment, but it was a term to mock the people who were following Jesus. Because after Jesus' death, the people who followed Jesus went by about 24 different names. The most prevalent of those names is what we hear as the way. They were followers, disciples of the way. Well, what is interesting is in that passage we call the Great Commission, Jesus doesn't say, go make Jews, go make Christians. He says, go make disciples. This is different because disciple translates to students. So Jesus is here saying, go make disciples, telling the disciples, telling the students, go make more disciples, go make more students. How will we make them, Jesus? Well, one, you baptize, baptize them. And then he says, teach them what I have taught you. That means then if we are going to be in the work that Jesus called us to be in, that we must make sure we teach what Jesus taught in order not to grow churches, but to make disciples. The mission that we are called to is not to see who can build the biggest cathedral. The mission is not to see who can get the most members. The mission is to produce disciples. I hope you get that today. It is to make disciples. And disciple really also means one who follows, okay? So that means that we are called to make disciples, assuming that we're disciples who can then make disciples, to follow the teachings of Jesus. I want you to get this. Now, the teachings of Jesus over the years when Christianity is formed, some almost 300 years after his death, you get these creeds, you get these words that have now become common in our churches. But you have to remember that early Jesus community never used words that we use now. They didn't have that. In fact, that early Jesus community had no doctrine. They had no creeds. They, they weren't walking around asking, have you been saved? Have you been born again? They haven't doing that. They, they they were gathering together under Roman persecution, and they formed their community around eating meals together, telling stories together, building an alternative community in the midst of oppression. You see, when you decontextualize Jesus's ministry and work, you can miss a major moment and movement in his teachings. Jesus is an oppressed man talking to oppressed people under Roman oppression and who for people who did not honor the humanity of Jews. You got to get this. He's an oppressed 
man under Roman oppression who's speaking to other oppressed people about how to see themselves instead of seeing themselves through the lens of Roman oppression. Jesus was trying to help people like him, oppressed Jews under Roman oppression, understand that who Rome says you are is not all of who you are. That how they see you and how they label you is not who you are in God's eyes. Why? Because Jesus is an oppressed man speaking to oppressed people in oppressed times. And he wants to make sure that they get a taste of what freedom really feels like and what freedom really looks like. Now, you may be saying, if I'm oppressed, how am I free? Oh, oh, you missed that. You see, oppression is really defined by the nature of the oppressor. But whether you feel oppressed is based on what's going on in your mind. You may. It was people during enslavement here in this country who made it clear, you can shackle my wrists. You can shackle my ankles. You can shackle my life, but you will never have power to shackle my mind. And as long as my mind is free, as long as my mind is free, I live in freedom. I walk in freedom. I talk in freedom. I move in freedom. And if you get close enough, you just might get liberated by coming in contact with my liberated mind. Here. Here. You see, if... What is he coming to do? You see, oppressed people cannot define freedom as having power of the oppressor. Oh, I want you to hear this. I didn't say not having power, but the power of the oppressor. In other words, oppression is shaped by conquest, domination. That's how power and reinforced by violence. If you want to be liberated, your liberation cannot be defined as then having the power that was used to oppress you. Because then you become no different than the oppressor. You can't want to have the same kind of power, authoritative, tyrannical, dysfunctional, dangerous, destructive, destroying communities and families and people, destroying culture and language and sensibility, destroying history and any knowledge of the significance of the people you are seeking to oppress. You see, it is not so much the mechanisms of the oppressor, it is the resistance of the oppressed that sets the tone for what liberation looks like. Oh gosh, you gotta get that. Now here it is. Jesus is in a time of oppression. He does not lead an insurrection against Rome. I don't care how much you fight. You may be saying, what do you mean? No, Jesus knew that was social suicide and death. In fact, about 40 years after Jesus's death, the people who were among the Jewish population in Jerusalem tried to rise up against the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, killed and murdered tens of thousands, put bodies up 
up on pikes and spikes, crucified thousands to let them know, don't you ever try to rise up against our power again. So Jesus understood that that would have been suicide, but he had to help oppressed people learn how to live together. Why? Because if you simply sit around admiring the mechanisms of the oppressor, that means you will repeat the very same demonic, despotic, dysfunctional, destructive mechanisms that cause you to desire freedom. No, freedom ain't saying we don't have a seat at the table. Turn the table upside down so we have the power. Freedom is saying I don't need a table in the first place. I can construct my own reality that makes sense to who I am as a human being. He was seeking to liberate the minds of his people oppressed so that they would not mimic or desire to mimic the power of the empire. You see, there's a poor translation in the Greek New Testament, Alicia, and it's a bad translation. I've been studying it recently as I prepared writing my second book. I found out we have a bad translation. We say kingdom of God. That's not a good translation. And when I read the recent historical study of the language in the Greek, it shocked me. It made me understand why Jesus was a threat, why John was a threat, because it said they came back saying the kingdom of God is at hand. It is here. It is now. But kingdom of God ain't the word. It is empire of God. Now, wait a minute. All they knew was the Roman Empire. And here he comes saying there's another empire. It's the empire of God. Oh, no, let me go deeper. Let me go deeper. I had this conversation past Lakeisha yesterday. So I'm just going to teach. We call God's gospel, which is a translation from the uh, Sexton Godspell, which means good news. But we translate that from the Greek, Gilion, uh, which means good news, Gilion. Now, remember, he comes announcing the empire of God and the good news, Gilion. When you read Roman text, this ain't the first time oppressed people heard of good news. Uon Gileon is used, was used at the celebration of the emperor's birthday. It was considered good news that the emperor was born. Oh, gosh, wait a minute. You mean here comes the poor peasant Jewish carpenter who says, one, there's an empire other than the one that's dominating us. It's the empire of God. And guess what? Good news for Rome ain't really good news. There's another good news where the the captives are freed and the blind begin to see and those who've been oppressed understand what liberation is like. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm saying that when he begins to preach, he is saying that how Rome defies good news ain't good news for us. Good news for us is that God is liberating and freeing and doing a work. And the empire of Rome don't get the last word. There's another empire, the empire of God, that is based on the good news, the gospel of these teachings. So when you start hearing people think that Christianity, well, they're right, but if they start making you think that the Jesus movement is about punishment, it sounds a whole lot like the empire 
and about whether you act right so you don't get punished out a whole lot like the empire. See, we don't realize that many of us who call ourselves Christian, we actually practice a very particular kind of Christianity that if you understood it, you might have to reimagine it. It's called colonized Christianity. It is the kind of Christianity that is used to reinforce systems of oppression and systems of conquest and systems of domination. Well, let me go deeper. Karl Marx, who people get afraid of, they call socialism, communism. Karl Marx, Alicia said, you can't critique a culture unless you first start by critiquing its religion. That if a culture is based on domination, conquest, and oppression, and they use Christianity as a tool of domination, conquest, and oppression, that means they've co-opted the Jesus movement and replaced it with colonized Constantinian Christianity. I just want to teach today. What are you trying to say, Pastor? Where are you going with this? The heart of the Jesus movement, what he is saying to historically oppressed people is that if we copy the patterns and characteristics of our oppressors, we are simply maintaining our own oppression. That we must begin to see ourselves different and treat ourselves differently. Don't treat one another the way the empire treats us because that means that your definition of liberation is just fantasies about being the oppressor. Well, I hope you heard that part. If you treat one another the way the empire treats us, that means your definition of liberation is simply to mimic, copy the mechanisms of the empire and the oppressor so that you basically just want to be them. So what does it mean, Jesus, to be part of this movement in a time of oppressive structures based on domination and conquest? Love somebody and take love seriously. If you want to be respected, respect somebody else. If you want to be loved, love somebody else. Can I put it this way? Treat other folk the way you want to be treated. Now, not in some mean-spirited way because Matthew 7 comes in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount that begins in Matthew 5. And in Matthew 5, he says, if you want to be like your Father in heaven, perfect, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The only time in Scripture where Jesus says you can be perfect like God ain't got nothing to do with whether or not you wore jeans in church or whether you had makeup on. And whether you had a hat on. No, you want to be like God? Love somebody who you think is unlovable. Show love in those moments when you don't feel like it. Understand that when you love another human being, you're asking the human being to love you the same way, not for reciprocity's sake, but for your own sanity. Why? How dare you walk around angry all day? And how dare you walk around scowling all day? And how dare you walk around hateful all day? No. He said, watch, for those who talk about holiness, they don't even know what holiness is. You think holiness is about behavior? No, holy just means set apart. 
The word used for Israel in the Old Testament is that they were set apart by God. And guess what? You don't set yourself apart. Paul put it this way. Your holiness, your righteousness to God is like a filthy rag anyway. So here you are thinking you can make yourself right. No, I hate to say it because there are some teachers that say you can make yourself right with God. Well, if you can make yourself right with God, help me define grace and help me define mercy. If you can do it, you don't need grace and mercy. Grace and mercy say this. What you can't do because of your human tendencies and proclivities, God don't wait for you to do. Here's how my grandmother said, he looked beyond my faults and saw my needs. And I know there are more than a few of us in here today who can testify. And I heard Reverend Keisha say easier earlier, I'm so glad that God ain't fair with me. You know what fair means? That means you get what you deserve. Oh, my God. But I'm here today to let some of y'all know the only reason some of us still here is because we didn't get what we deserve. That God looked beyond our faults. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus was trying to help even his critics reimagine their own lives. And in there, in Matthew 22, here it is. He's surrounded by his critics. Let me say this to you. I'm going to help somebody understand this. If you ever feel yourself surrounded by your critics, don't analyze yourself. Fake them. Hold on. See, if I wasn't doing anything to get under your skin, you would have nothing to say. But in Jesus' name, I'm so glad I got critics because they reinforced to me the trajectory of the work that God has called me to do. Why? You think you can measure your efficacy by whether or not everybody likes you? Jesus said the world will hate you because it hated me. And here you are trying to get everybody to like you. No, 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 that's not going to happen. When you honor the subversive, radical, revolutionary teachings of the Galilean sage, you better believe that folk will start to feel uncomfortable. Yeah. He said, you, okay, Jesus, here they came. Because in the rabbinical teachings, there are over 630 commandments in addition to the 10. When you get fixated on 10, you're missing 620 other ones that the people of God in that time lived their life by. So they come now with their 630 plus on their mind and they come to Jesus. What's the greatest commandment? <laughs> he said, okay. Here it is. And it was a lawyer among them. And it says, I love the language, to test him. Because they're trying to get him to move contradictory to the teaching. And he hit him with this one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. With all your strength, your heart, your soul. With all your heart, your soul, your strength. You can put the order however you want to put the order. And he says, that is the greatest commandment. Watch this. All of the laws, all that you see in the Mosaic laws in this Old Testament, from the Ten Commandments to the Levitical Code to the Rabbinical Code, all the laws and all the prophets can be reduced down to that one verse. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind. And then he said, and the second is just like the first. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. On this, all of the laws and the prophets hinge. And you up there talking about, you don't gonna, you're not going to listen to me no more because I don't talk about sin or holiness or hell. Not what I talk about is what Jesus talked about. Love. Love God. Love yourself. Love your neighbor. It ain't rocket science, but it is countercultural in a world that is hell bent on hate. Why are you so mad? I, I, I asked, I asked, I asked a person one time many years ago. It was a person who, who called themselves. They didn't know who I was. They wanted to evangelize me. And they would hit me with everything except love. And I said, I, I said, why, why are you so mad? In Jesus' name. <laughs> this ain't the gospel. This ain't the good news. Love God. Love yourself. Love your neighbors. This is Jesus' teaching. Treat people the way you want to be treated. Hold on. Now you're going to say, well, I want, well, well, how do you want to be treated? I want to be treated with respect and dignity and love. That means I give it. Now, let's be clear. Somebody, one of my friends said, you know, this Christianity thing got you we, we loving and we just accepting abuse. I said, no, the Bible don't ever say that. It doesn't say accept abuse and submit yourself to abuse. Because what Jesus also, well, no, what God also gave you are, are some strong legs. And if you don't have, watch this, because I know there's some of my, bro my brothers who are challenged who may be in a wheelchair, that means you got a strong battery. You know what for? To walk away. I mean, ain't it funny that some people who are abusive think you're supposed to stay in front of them? <laughs> but see, the problem is when you become addicted to abusive spaces, it's hard to give the peace sign. No, this movement started by the carpenter. I ain't talking about what Constantine started. Go look it up in case you ain't sure. I'm talking about the movement by the Galilean sage. I love that. Was helping people like him not lose their minds because of their oppressors. Reclaim your power. You reclaim that power through love. We forget things that Jesus said, things like this. We want to talk about the harmless as doves. No, that wasn't the first clause. He said, be wise as a serpent. And then harmless as a dove. Don't let the wisdom you can learn from the serpent become actionable hate. Be harmless as a dove. Come on, everybody, just stand on your feet today. Let me say, there are so many people who want to make the Jesus movement 
an exclusionary thing. Read the book, man. All these folks, so read the scriptures. Jesus performed miracles for people who weren't Jewish. He opened minds of everyone he encountered. And they all weren't like him. And you come now in Jesus' name wanting to exclude folk you think are unholy, impure. For a Jew in that day, there's nothing more impure than a Gentile. And yet Jesus ministers, heals, engages. And here you are claiming to follow Jesus. Well, no, no, some, some, some folks just Christian. I'll talk about that another day. Now, let me say it now. We think Christianity is about, well, what's your doctrine? In the deep, well, then what was Jesus' doctrine? Love. See, but when you reduce Christianity to what you believe and not what you practice, you do know there's a difference. Okay, let me help you understand. If you're just a believing Christian, you never felt, feel compelled to align what you believe with how you behave. Because Jesus don't talk about what you believe. It is how you treat somebody. See, if you're a Christian who thinks that the sum total of your Christianity is about what you believe, you don't see a misalignment between your belief and your actions because your actions are not a measuring stick of what you believe. Okay, didn't get through yet? Okay, let me give it to you real, but some folk can hear. If you're just a believing Christian and not a Christian who manifests your faith through your practice and your practice is rooted in love as taught by the carpenter, then you can go to church at 11 and lynch a black man at 1. Oh, you, you missed that, huh? You could go and sing hymns at 11 and at 1.30 lynch a black woman and her children and still claim to be a Christian because your belief's right, but they don't line up with your practice. I had to put it that way so you understand. But when you are a follower of the carpenter, you don't have to walk around and announce yourself because wherever you show up, hungry people get food. Thirsty people get water. People who have no clothes get clothes provided. You don't have to say anything. When you show up, things start moving in the direction of those who are in need and who need love. That's who we're called to be, beloved. We're called to be the people of the way, the disciples of the carpenter, the followers of the Galilean sage. That's who we are. And some folk got a problem with Jesus. Love Christianity, but got a problem with Jesus. Love God. Love yourself. And love your brother or sister. That's it. Every single thing. This is what Jesus said. Every single thing that could be found in the first half of this book, because that's all Jesus had, the, the Torah, the Old Testament, can be reduced to loving God 
loving yourself and loving your neighbor. If you don't memorize Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, you don't know nothing about Numbers or Deuteronomy or Joshua, Judges, Ruth. But if you love God, love yourself, and love your neighbor, you're on the right track. So what? You can't quote verses left and right. I know people who are great quoting Christians but bad living disciples. Love God. Love yourself. And love the person who is your neighbor. And just in case, I'll do this another time. You want to be like the lawyer who questioned Jesus, thought he had him trapped. Well, who is my neighbor? What he came to realize is that the one who shows mercy and is worthy of mercy, that's the neighbor. It's you and I. Beloved, as we pray today, I want us, I want us to pray a daunting prayer. I, and I'm going to, I, I don't do this, but I'm doing it today. I'm, I'm asking you in your prayer to ask for something. Now, prayer is not just about asking. Prayer is about building relationship. But as you pray today, I want you to ask, God, what can I do to demonstrate that I am a disciple? That's it. Well, what more can I do to demonstrate that I love God, that I love myself, and that I love my neighbor? Pray that prayer today. You don't have to, but I would love for you to do that today. Because there are people who are walking away from Christianity because we got too many Christians and not enough disciples. I want to be a disciple. Jesus said, go make disciples. That's what we're going to do. Come on, let's pray together. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this reminder. Thank you for this outpouring of your spirit. God, you really gave us through your son one label, disciple. We want to follow and learn. We want to live. We want to learn. We want to love. We want, we want to let our love be radical and revolutionary. We want to demonstrate our love of God, and we demonstrate our love of God by how we love our neighbor and how we love ourselves. Because we can't say we love you, oh God, and then treat our neighbors in a mean-spirited fashion. We can't say we love you, oh God, and then abuse our neighbors. We can't say we love you, oh God, and then not love on ourselves. So God, we have aligned ourselves with the ethos of love. Not in some sentimental way, but in a way that is all-encompassing. Agape love. Unconditional love. We stand in that space today. 
So God, use us to get the glory. Let us be lights of love. Let us remember, oh God, we are salt of this earth. We are light, oh God. We are the mustard seed that is overlooked but grows and takes over the garden, oh God. We are the kingdom. No, we are the empire of God. We love you, Lord. We honor you, God. And it's in your name we pray. And we say amen. 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 Come on, put your hands together and give the Lord a hand clap of praise today. Thank you for listening to the FCBC NYC podcast. We hope that what you heard was informative and inspiring and in some way created a space for you to have a creative encounter with God. You can follow us on social media and on the internet at fcbcnyc.org. Please follow and also contribute. If you've been blessed by what you heard, support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward to seeing you.